You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, a podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. Is this thing on? Hello. <laughs> kind of forgot how to use a microphone. <laughs> Welcome to Language Nerds to Earth. I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. And it's the long-awaited episode 50. Yes. Thank you for sticking with us while we were on our brief hiatus. Rachel is feeling sick, but she wanted to get back to her peeps. Yeah. So if you hear me like a little bit hoarse and a little bit squeaky, that's why. What do you feel like, Rachel? I feel like a horse little boy. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> well, I think you sound okay. I think you sound pretty normal, just like stuffed up. So. Okay. Cool, cool. Yeah. So, yes, today we're going to talk about weddings. I'm really excited because we got some recordings from friends about weddings in their culture. Yeah. So we're going to listen to them. And also we'll take a look at some other fascinating wedding traditions from our research that we didn't happen to get recordings about, but we just really wanted to talk about. Yeah. And weddings are, I think, one of those things that everybody loves. And there's so many like customs and really unique traditions everywhere. So we're going to try and touch on some of them. Of course, it will be limited by time. But yeah. For every tradition we're looking at i'm sure we could do like an entire episode on oh i'm sure like and it would be awesome yeah <laughs> exactly but this is what we're gonna do today but before we get into that we want to thank you for all the extra facebook likes we've been getting lately yeah hopefully that also means you're like heading over and uh subscribing yeah and also guys so we have recently learned that we cannot see all of the reviews that we get because you have to go to each country's individual iTunes page or whatever and um, look at the reviews for each country. So, yeah, we realized we have Just missed some. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so did I go meticulously through the list of different countries on iTunes so that I could see the reviews from those countries? Maybe. Maybe I did. (laughs) But, so we found a few. We found two in Spain. So Chris Faro says, I've been listening to the show for a while. The excitement and charisma with which Rachel and Patrice talk about different interesting topics makes listening so much fun. Keep up the good work. So nice. Uh, Yeah. In Spain, we also had great and entertaining. The hosts are very charismatic and talk about interesting topics like language, culture, social awareness, traveling, and others. Super fun. Thanks, Aaboli. Yeah, and we also got a five-star rating from Brazil. We see you, Brazil. Thanks for that. Yeah. And uh, one person in Australia said, I can't stop listening. Awesome podcast, right on time for me while I am trying to learn German from zero. So whoever you are in Australia, keep going. You can do it. It's all about patience and practice. Yeah, you got this. And just know that there are so many people out there who are doing the same thing. So if we can make like Mm -hmm. a community of that, that's awesome. If I can help force Chinese into my husband's brain, (laughs) then you can learn German from zero. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, let's get down to business. So for language news this week, really quick, because we have a lot to get to with weddings, but this is really, really interesting. It's about grammatical gender. Now, those of you who speak languages that only have one gender might be like, what are you saying? So in Romance languages, actually in most Indo-European and Slavic languages, the use of grammatical gender is employed as in um, saying, like, the table might be 
feminine. Like in Spanish, you don't say just the mesa, which is table. You would say la mesa, and la mesa is feminine. And el sol, like the sun is masculine. So what about it? What is the point of me telling you this? (laughs) It turns out that the way we describe something by its grammatical gender in these languages results in us perceiving those things to have certain masculine or feminine qualities. Mm -hmm. So for example, Spanish speakers give the word bridge the following characteristics. Strong, big, towering, sturdy. And bridge in Spanish is masculine. German speakers who call it die Brücke, which is feminine, they describe bridges as elegant, fragile, peaceful, and slender. And they didn't ask the subjects to describe them as masculine or feminine. They just said, describe a bridge Uh in this study. So another example is when asked to describe a key, German speakers whose word for key is masculine, Deschlüssel, they describe it as jagged and strong. While French speakers who ascribe a feminine gender to keys described the key as delicate and tiny. So I love this article. I found out about it this summer. And I don't know about you, Rachel, but like I've always wondered that kind of. But I never knew how to put it into words. And so, like, this article really shed some light on that. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting that they actually studied this and how it actually affects the way that people perceive things. It's not just in our minds. It's very. It reminds me a lot of how certain, just in general, in English, certain adjectives are used mostly for women, and others are used for men, and they might be mm-hmm. negative or positive for each. Or if they're for women, they might be negative and they might be positive for men. But anyway, mm-hmm. we perceive things in sort of a binary, two-gender way. Ooh, what a great point. Even things like a table, like... it's Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like in English, not as much. Yeah. But we do ascribe natural gender. So, for example, vehicles or things that move, like a ship, is ascribed a feminine gender often in English. Yeah. Like, my boat, she is beautiful. Or this is a beautiful car, she can go very fast. Yeah. I don't talk about cars very much. <laughs> so She can go very um, fast. <laughs> But that suggests that English used to use genders in the language that might have kind of fallen off, which makes sense since we're related to German distantly, which we talked about in the evolution of English. If you missed it, go back to episode 20 or so. It's a super (laughs) interesting episode. Yes. So, very cool. If you're an English speaker, think about that as you're going through your day, like, what gender would a jacket have or uh <laughs> yeah just try and play a little game with yourself i don't know yeah definitely and if you aren't a native english speaker as you go through your day and you look at different items think about whether you ascribe masculine or feminine qualities to them yeah and if anybody has any comments on that we'd love to hear yeah definitely okay so Let's talk about weddings. Ding, 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 ding. Just to start us off, we have the countries with the oldest marrying ages. And we're going to give you the first three, and then you can go look at the list by yourself if you want to know more. (laughs) So the oldest, the oldest average age for marrying is in Sweden at 34.8. Uh, followed by Chile at 34 and Iceland at 33.7. Mm. And I have to say number four is Spain. So 
Sorry. That's why Rachel doesn't have any married friends. Yeah, I don't have, like, any married friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody's still single in Spain. Yeah, or they're in a long-term partnership, but they don't get married until much later. Hmm. Fascinating. They can stay boyfriend and girlfriend for, like, ten years. So, the country with the youngest average age of marriage is Chad at 19.2 years old. Niger comes in at number two at 19.4, and Mozambique is 19.6 years old. So young. It's so young. And if you think 19 is the average, so lots of people marry younger. Yeah. I mean, this article where it talks about the youngest age of marriage does mention that there is some child marriage in a lot of these places. Exactly. But... Yeah, I mean, oh. it, it actually says in 2015, the rate of child marriages in Chad was at 68%. Ouch. So... What is child marriage defined as? Is that under 18? Uh, it doesn't actually define it. Hmm. And that's probably mostly young women, young girls. Right. Statistically. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't really imagine any young boys being married off to like older women it's usually the reverse exactly so it's a lot of gender dynamics as well but we won't get into that today we will get into it in some other ways but (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna get we're gonna keep things light on this 50th episode returning Mm -hmm. but of course it's a very serious issue that needs to be addressed okay so yes we are going to keep it Keep it fun, because weddings are a happy ceremony. They're supposed to be a good time. Should yes. be, yes. Happy time for <laughs> So, today we have traditions from six different places that we're going to talk about, and we're bringing in guests from three of those places. The first place is going to be Romania. And we have a guest from Romania. Her name is Simona. I met her over the summer when I was traveling in Romania. I met her through a family friend, and I stayed at her place, and she and her husband Bogdan are so great. We love you guys. (laughs) So uh, without further ado, we'll just let Simona introduce Romanian weddings. Hi, girls. What a wonderful topic. It's been almost five years since our Romanian wedding, and it still seems like it was yesterday. So I understand that uh, today you're talking about uh, uh, different wedding traditions. I will tell you some uh, from Romania. Uh, Usually, like uh, in the most uh, countries and cultures, uh, the night before the wedding, the groom and the bride sleep separately, each of them at its house. After they prepare for the wedding, the morning after, The groom goes to the bride's house together with the godfathers. At the entrance of the house, there is a bucket filled with water where the groom has to drop some money. The more money, the better the marriage will be and cheerer. Only after he drops some money, he can enter the house where he starts looking for the bride because the bride is usually hiding. Well, given the fact there are not many places where you can hide in an apartment, Let's say this part ends quickly. They enjoy the moment, they kiss each other, they drink a glass of champagne, and then the sponge cake tradition arrives. So, the godmother brings a sponge cake. Then, she has to cut this big sponge cake above the bride's head. In how many pieces the sponge cake breaks, that's the number of children the newlyweds will have. So, yes, very exciting. Then they go at the church, they enjoy the service, and they usually, then usually uh, at 7 or 8 p.m., the reception starts. Uh, Usually this reception is mostly a night party that starts with the groom and bride dance and then um, continues with with, uh, party dances. Around midnight, some guests steal the bride and ask for a reward. Then a negotiation takes place and after some 30 minutes, 
The bride is back and the groom has to per usually perform something embarrassing like a dance, like an acting or some karaoke love song. Uh, this is, uh, let's say, the highlight uh, in the cities, but at the countryside, in the rural areas, during the party, there is the strangest tradition. It is called the chicken dance. Cooked or alive, a chicken has to be sold to the godfather by the cook or another female participant. So, what do you say about that? You must come to a Romanian wedding, right? Thank you. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Very great. That was so interesting. It really was. I love learning about different traditions like that, like going to find the bride. That's really similar to like a German tradition, a German Austro Hungarian tradition, I guess, maybe. Really? Yeah, the bride is kidnapped and then they have to go and find her but she's been kidnapped to like a bar or a tavern or something like that so every place they go the groom has to buy everyone in there around oh that's hilarious i didn't know that that's super cool it actually is also similar to something that our chinese guest is going to talk about so remember that part <laughs> the sponge cake thing there's another tradition we'll talk about later uh, about finding out how many children the bride and groom will have. That's really cool. It's funny that there are traditions in extremely different cultures that are also like consistent with the same theme, you know? Yeah. I guess it's like uh, if we think about marriage is related to children. Uh, yeah. I mean, in the traditional sense. And so, yeah, it's a thing that like, women are supposed to produce lots of children. And so that's, see, that makes sense to me that there's like a theme of like, well, how many children are you going to produce? Mm -hmm, how many true. heirs? Yeah, that's true. But hiding the group, hiding the bride? Yeah. Like, why? <laughs> I mean, that's interesting that that's a theme. I think that probably comes from like, now you own her. Mm. Maybe it's kind of over time, it became like a play on that. Like, you got to get her so you can own her for the rest of your life. It also might be, you know, like, you're now her protector before it was like her father. And now it's the groom. Well, that's a nicer way of looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> so he has to be worthy, maybe, of like finding her. Oh, yeah. I like that. <laughs> I mean, there could be, there's definitely some of the other as well, maybe. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Simona, for yes. sharing your tradition with us. That's the, what a great way to kick it off. And I love how happy she sounds. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Simona. Okay. Uh, so next, I thought we could talk about Korean weddings. My stepsister just married into a Korean family, so I actually have a little bit of experience with this because they let me be a part of the, the Korean ceremony when she got married in October, which was so cool. So in Korean weddings, they're typically seen as the joining of two families, so parents will invite everybody they know. Traditionally, grooms would present a wild goose to their future in-laws because geese mate for life, and that was to show the commitment to the parent's daughter. Now, they exchange wooden geese instead because, you know, what are you going to do with a goose, really? I mean, most people can't, like, gut and de-feather or whatever, pluck. Right, if you're going to eat it. Yeah. Or it's like, now I have a goose. <laughs> I mean, the point would be... I guess to eat it. I guess it. probably to eat it. But... I guess. I guess. I mean, or you put it in your Korean pond. Yeah. Or they lay eggs. Do you eat goose eggs? I'm making well, all kinds of foolish comments, so just ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the family and the pair traditionally wear hanboks at the ceremony, at the Korean ceremony, which is called the piebak. And this was interesting. So in Simona's account of Romanian weddings, she was talking about 
breaking sponge cake above the bride's head to find out how many children the pair will have. (laughs) And in Korean ceremonies, traditionally, the bride and groom stand before their family, or they bow before their family, and they serve uh, wine to their family. And then they're given a, a special big piece of cloth. And after they receive advice on their married life from different family members, the family members will throw jujubes and chestnuts into the cloth to symbolize the numbers of boys and girls the bride and groom will have when they're married. Uh, Apparently, my stepsister and her now husband are going to have, like, hundreds of children. Oh, my God. (laughs) Because it's, like, different groups of family members give advice and then they throw the jujubes and chestnuts into the thing. And then you put the jujubes and chestnuts back on the table. And then a new group of family members comes to give advice. Oh, okay. It's very interesting. Well, hundreds seems like too much. Yeah. I know. That was like the running joke afterward. Like, well, you guys are going to need a lot more than a dentist's salary. <laughs> Another thing about Korean weddings is that the pair and their family, they wear the traditional Korean dress, which is called a hanbok. The bride wears red. The bride wears red to symbolize yin, and the groom wears blue to symbolize yang. Tai yin is the old word for moon in Chinese, and tai yang is the word for um, sun. And so it's yin and yang, yin and yang. And so it's like sun and moon. Huh. Very cool. Yeah. So also, finally, I think it's pretty common in Asia for Asian men to need to prove their worthiness. I guess that's kind of like what we were talking about, about finding the bride as well. Yeah. So they have like games or weird things that they'll do to the groom. So... Something that is common, especially in the past in Korea, is the groom's friends and family hold him down, and they beat the bottoms of his feet with a dried fish. (laughs) Or a stick. (laughs) I like the dried fish version a lot. Yes, (laughs) I really like that. (laughs) It's so random. But there's a lot of dried fish in Korea. Exactly, and it must probably be painful. Yeah. It's probably uncomfortable, at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I did have friends in Korea who married into Korean families, and I feel like at least one of them went through this. And in between the beatings, he has to answer questions about her, right? That's right. In between the beatings, he's asked trivia questions. So the custom is said to help strengthen his memory. And his feet. (laughs) Well, feet are important to be strong. Yeah. Gotta keep those feet rugged. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's that's true. It's like the man has to prove himself. The woman either has to pay someone to take her, the family has to pay, or or the man has to pay to take her away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's kind of usually the two options. Yeah. And... It, you know, the proving himself also reminds me of like that sort of fairy tale trope of the prince or the knight or whoever uh. has to like face all these challenges to get through yes. the tower, to get to the tower or whatever, like <clears throat> right. pass a lot of danger. Kiss Sleeping Beauty. That's such a good point. Yeah. So, of course, like the big strong man has to come rescue the the bride everything's really clicking today yeah yeah (laughs) he must have like certain strengths and be a worthy man or he can't get her hand in marriage yeah interesting cool okay so now rachel had the monumental task of summarizing indian weddings for us in 10 (laughs) minutes so have a good time so uh indian weddings i think well first of all 
India is such a large country with lots of different regional traditions, uh, religious traditions. So it's hard to say that this is an Indian wedding. Mm-hmm. But we're going to talk about a couple of things that are variations or commonly done. And first, I'm going to talk a little bit about Hindu weddings. So first, before a wedding can take place, they use the dates of birth of the bride and the groom uh, to posi- <coughs> to calculate the position of the planets and stars to reflect a celestial union of the couple. So even just the date of the wedding is significant. And before the wedding, there's this pre-party called the Sangeet. And the family comes together to celebrate and share the joy. They sing and they dance. And the bride's family sings traditional folk song to the groom's family to welcome them. And Sangeet actually translates to sung together. So it's a very sort of musical tradition, which I thought was pretty lovely. Yeah, that is. And then for the ceremony, there's this big structure that is called the mandap. It's kind of like a chapa. Is that how it's called? Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. In Jewish weddings, I think. Uh, it's sort of like a big structure that the the structure under which the ceremony is performed yeah yeah it's kind of like a hapa but it looks different obviously it's it's got like four bases that go to the ground and then it has like a little roof that might be made of some kind of fabric and it's very beautiful and that's where the couple goes through the ceremony so in the center there's a fire and the fire is sort of the witness of the different offerings that are made and this is because a Hindu wedding is not so much a contract as it is in many cultures but more of a sacrament Mm. and I like that yeah it's nice it's like well yeah um and the bride's brother gives three fistfuls of puffed rice to the bride for a happy marriage and Mm. She, Does she have to eat it? No, she adds it to the fire uh, each time uh, as an offering. Okay. That's nicer, probably, than stuffing rice in your face. <laughs> yeah. And the couple then exchange uh, floral garlands. Mm-hmm. And this is called the Jai Mala. So there's the ceremony itself is quite long with many different parts. For example, the bride's father pours water through the bride's hands to, as a way of showing that he's giving her away. Mm-hmm. And the woman has to be offered in the Hindu tradition, so she can't be claimed, let's say. Oh. It's not about, like, conquering. No. As, as it maybe is more in Europe. Uh-huh. Could be, yeah. And the, the Saptapadi is a ritual... In North Indian Hindu weddings, and the clothing of the bride and the groom is tied together. And in South India, they walk seven steps to signify their friendship, which I think is also really sweet. Yeah, that is sweet. Yeah, so it is like a partnership. It's not just about a contract of producing, like, babies and things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, the friendship is actually the basis of a Hindu marriage, which I really like. Yeah, I like that too. It's like, it's a partnership. It's a partnership, it's, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the bride, again, wears red. Uh, this is, again, signifying the the sun and prosperity and fertility. And we'll see later that this is also for Muslim weddings. So Indian brides... I would say on the whole, wear red. Hmm. Good. Uh, good. I just said good like I'm a f- student. <laughs> you did such a great job. Such a good job. <laughs> nice. Now let's move on. Nice <laughs> okay. So that's a very short version of Hindu weddings. 
Now let's talk a little bit about Muslim weddings. So Hindu and Muslim are two of the major religious traditions in India. So I'm just going to talk about those particular two. Okay. So the nikah ceremony is the Arabic word for marriage, and that's the heart of the ceremony. So the manja and the mendi, which it's also called henna, is very prevalent in South Asian weddings, and it's it happens both in Muslim and in Hindu weddings. So it's more of a regional thing. And the bride is decorated with the henna paste, yeah, which is given by the groom's family elders. So again, it's sort of like bringing the bride into the groom's family and welcoming her that way. And another South Asian tradition that's practiced by lots of different religions is... The family members process into the wedding, often on a horse, which is pretty cool. That's so cool. Yeah. (laughs) And unique to Muslim weddings, before the couple is allowed to see each other, the groom has to give the bride a mare, or this is basically some gift of money, or a presentation of other gifts. Okay. And... Then after that ceremony, the mayor, the couple agrees to be married by saying, Kool hai. I'm sorry, sorry. I accept. Yeah. <laughs> and they have to say it three times, each when asked by the imam. Mm-hmm. And this ceremony, the next is the nikah nama, which is binding social contract. So it's not so much a sacrament as a contract between the couple Mm. and their Muslim faith. And That's interesting. Yeah. So they have to agree to certain terms of the contract and then sign it while the guests watch them. Mm. So this is, it seems a little bit more similar to European ones almost. Yeah, maybe. Although it's, it is faith related, of course. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting that they're both in the same. Well, it's a huge country, but it's two very different religions Mm -hmm. coexisting under much, much different wedding rules, I guess. Yeah. And then the first time the couple can see each other as husband and wife is called the Arsi Mushaf. Well, the first time they see each other during the wedding. And they are separated by a mirror, and the Holy Quran is held. Ah. And they also then exchange garlands, just like in the Hindu wedding. And the final part of the ceremony is the Savaka. You did this to yourself, Rachel. I know. (laughs) You're doing great. You're doing great with pronunciations. Yes, well, I might not be, but I am. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you trying. I think we all appreciate it. The Savaka, uh, Mm -hmm. which as they leave the mosque, the guests throw coins at the bride to wish her luck, which is sort of similar to our tradition of throwing rice at the couple, which I think is also something like for luck or prosperity or something like that. Hmm. I'm not sure, but (laughs) so that's interesting. That is the very shortened version, shortened version of Indian weddings. Mm -hmm. And if I ever get the chance, I would love to go to one. I know. It'd be so cool. It's so, there's so many traditions. Yeah. It's not just like a couple hours and then party. It's like very rooted in tradition which is very cool well it's like a week-long affair in a lot of cases yeah. i think and i think uh, i mean my wedding was like 120 130 people at the end but i think from what i've heard like indian weddings are often like much bigger yeah <laughs> yeah 
Okay. So speaking of wearing red in Chinese weddings, uh, the bride also wears red. We have another guest coming on who's going to talk a little bit about her wedding. She was really shy, though, so I'll fill in some of the gaps. So this is my friend Vinny, who works with me, and she's going to talk a little bit about her wedding. She just got married a few months ago. So first, what's your name? My name's Vinny. And where are you from? I'm from Chaoshan. Chaoshan in, the yeah. no- in northern China. Yes. And you just married. Ah, what's sorry. your husband's name? Uh, William. William. Okay. Yes. Does he speak English? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> His English name is William, though. Yeah. And he's from Hunan. Yes. So tell me about your wedding. It is quite an easy one. Okay. Yes. Um, because my my hometown is a little bit far away from Shenzhen, mm-hmm. and we we had a wedding here. So, um, before my wedding, the last night. I lived into the hotel. Okay, you, know you didn't sleep with your husband that night. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of not. yeah. You didn't live with him before the wedding, also. Yes. Yeah. I lived in school. Oh, uh, you lived at the, in a dorm at school. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yes. So the second day in the in the morning, my husband um, come with his good friends. Um, before he come into my room, they need to play games. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. What kind of games? Like to show that he is Mm -hmm. strong or something like that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, just to make more fun. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And if they can't do that, they need to give us, um, my friends and my sisters, the red packets. Oh, okay. And a red packet has money in it. Yeah. Yeah. And and we, we will hide the shoes. No shoes. Yeah? Yes. They need to find out the shoes. (laughs) <laughs> but if they can't, uh, they, they have to give us the red packet. Oh. And my husband couldn't take me home. Oh, really? Yes. So where did they hide the shoes? They hide. They hid the men's shoes? No, my shoes. Oh, they hid yes. your shoes? Yes, and, my shoes. And then the men had to go find your shoes? Yes. Oh. <laughs> that's funny. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the games for the ceremony. Yeah, yes. Uh-huh. And so that's the morning. In they the morning, play games. But most of the people in Chaoshan, they will pick up the bride. Okay. In the evening. Okay. Yeah. In the evening before the wedding or in the evening of the wedding? Before. Okay. Yes. And the second day, yeah, we will have a big dinner. Okay. Yeah. We will invite our friends, mm-hmm. relatives, and many, many people. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And have a big di- meal. What did you eat? Chicken, mm-hmm. fish, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Lots of meat. Yes. Yeah. Lots of Chaoshan food or and Hunan yes, food. Yes, we will we'll, um, put many sweets mm-hmm. on the table. Okay. And after the dinner, they will take them home. Mm-hmm. Okay. So traditionally in Chinese weddings, on the day of the wedding, there's something called a door game to help the man show that he's worthy. Um, by passing certain tests. For example, he might cross-dress or pass a piece of seaweed to somebody else via lips. Like, uh-huh. uh, he might get his legs waxed or play limbo. And he also gives the bride her wedding gifts, which are really special. So Vinny was showing me she, was, she had two gold rings on. on both of, she had a gold ring on each of her ring fingers. So she talks a little bit about that. He will take a chair, let me just sit down. Yeah. And then he will help me to wear this. The Your rings. rings. Uh-huh. Yeah. The necklace mm-hmm. and the bracelet. Like, and I, yeah, bracelet, yeah. yeah. Bracelet. And I see your rings are gold. Were your Was your necklace and your bracelet also gold? Yes. Oh, All okay. The, uh, yeah. Everything was gold. Um, before the wedding, uh, a long time, maybe one month or mm-hmm. 20 days, my husband will bring the gold to my hometown. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. And, and then before the wedding, very, very close, my sisters will take them to Shenzhen. And that day, my husband come to pick me up. Yeah. 
arrived home the moment he helped me to wear them. Oh, yeah. okay. Nice. And what did you, what, what clothes did you wear for the Chinese ceremony? A red dress. A red dress, yes. yeah. Uh, yeah. Qi, qi pao? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. How do you say the word? We don't have a word in English for it, yeah. <laughs> so just a red dress. Right? Yeah, just a red dress with a high neck and then the short sleeves. Oh, long sleeves. Yeah. And then it goes all the way to the ground. Yes, and, and were there... red shoes. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, in Chinese culture, red is very fortunate. It's a very lucky color. Yes. Oh, okay. And did you wear anything on your head? Yeah, I, I made a new hair crop. Oh, nice. Yes, okay. And, and I make a new color. Oh, okay. Yes. Cool. And uh, what what gifts did you get from your family? Gold. Gold. <laughs> <Yeah>. Good. <laughs> nice. Okay. That's it. But the most important part of this Chinese ceremony is something called a tea ceremony. And it's kind of like the wine ceremony I was talking about in the Korean wedding. They serve tea to the bride's parents and then family, and then they serve it to the groom's parents and the family, and I think it's kind of also like the merging of the two families. Mm. Yeah, that seems to be a big part of a lot of wedding traditions as well as the connection and the merging of the two families. Yeah. Which traditionally, and I mean traditionally and still nowadays... They do sort of merge, but I think even more so in the past, like you're mm-hmm. sort of allies. Or... Exactly. I mean, when people were also like much more sedentary and dependent on each other a lot more, that would have made so much sense. Mm-hmm. So now it's more symbolic, I think. But Vinny sent me a picture of her what, her Chinese wedding dress. So we'll have that on Instagram by the time this episode goes up. So make sure you go check that out. One more thing about Chinese weddings that I found that was super interesting is it's really important for a woman of good fortune. This is a woman with a living husband, children, and grandchildren. She needs to install the matrimonial bed. Yes. With good feng shui. And... She's going to cover the bed with new linens in a lucky color, probably red, with dragons. (laughs) Um, And then she'll place lucky items on the bed. But then she'll have boys, young boys, jump around and roll on the bed to bless the couple with good fertility. And probably they want to have boys, so... Yes, that is the goal. I was actually just in one of my classes the other day... I was like, okay, how many girls do we have in this class? 13 out of 40. And that's pretty normal. Wow. Like, there's still mostly boys in these classrooms. Wow. Yeah, it's a problem. There are like 50 million more Korean uh, Chinese men in the country than women. Oh, my God. Okay. Next, we're going to go to Irish wedding traditions, which are fascinating And we don't have too much time to talk about them, so I'm going to go through them kind of quickly. But we get a lot of terms from Irish wedding traditions. So, for example, hand fasting, which is when you tie, you put your hands together, and the officiant ties a rope around the hands of the bride and groom. That used to be the main way people were married in Ireland. Okay. So that's sort of similar to how in Hindu weddings, in some regions, the couple are tied together. Oh, that's so But their so cool. clothing, not their hands. Oh. So symbolically attaching them. Yeah. At my brother's wedding, they did a hand fasting ceremony. Oh, really? They also did a feet washing ceremony. Oh, you told me that. Yeah, it was really nice. Another thing from Irish weddings, the term honeymoon came from... The customary request that newlyweds drink mead for one full moon after their wedding. So mead is liquor made from honey. And so for one full cycle of the moon, the couple would traditionally drink mead. And that's where we get honeymoon, which is so cool. Yeah. I actually wonder if that has some sort of, I wonder if it's supposed to be for like fertility or something like that as well. Like in the Mm. first month, maybe they drink that and it's supposed to help them conceive or something. 
That's just something that occurred to me, but I have no idea about it. Maybe. That would be in keeping with the theme, wouldn't it? Yeah. There are two opportunities in an Irish wedding to make sure things go smoothly. So the night before the wedding, the groom traditionally visits his in-laws for a goose dinner. And that gives him about two hours while they're cooking the goose to change his mind before, quote-unquote, the goose is cooked, which is something that I know I've heard before. It's an idiom. Like, your goose is cooked. Uh Uh-huh. The deal is sealed, you know? Right, yeah. And then the other thing they do that I thought was hilarious is traditionally couples were often locked in the church after entering it for the ceremony, (laughs) so nobody could run away. No cold feet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No runaway brides in old Ireland. (laughs) Oh, in Celtic cultures, it is traditional for brides to tote an upright horseshoe, sometimes in their bouquets, sometimes sewn into their dresses, and they take it down the aisle for good luck. So now we see it as a motif incorporated in Irish weddings from sometimes horseshoe-shaped desserts or escort cards. (laughs) So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, and then finally, I liked this a lot. When the bride and groom are dancing, it's said that the bride needs to keep at least one foot on the floor at all times because if she doesn't, according to Irish folklore, evil fairies will come and sweep her away. Oh, yeah. There's Ireland and its fairies again. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's so cool. I'm a big fan. It's like a <laughs> such an integral part of their traditions and folklore and touches everything. Exactly. You can it pops up everywhere when we're talking about Ireland. Yeah. Very cool. We still need to do an episode on the Irish language too. Mm-hmm. So Hey, I just found this. Honeymoon also has origins that date back to the 5th century when cultures represented calendar time with moon cycles. Back then, a newlywed couple drank mead, the honey, during their first moon of marriage. Mead is a honey-based alcoholic drink believed to have aphrodisiac properties. Oh, so it really is a honeymoon. It's a sweet, sweet month. (laughs) Nice. Cool. Okay, so finally, we have some icing on the cake of our wedding episode. What? That was so clever. (laughs) (laughs) Icing on the wedding cake. I have a friend who is a new co-worker, and she and I really hit it off, and uh, she's from South Africa. Hi, so I'm Venetia. I'm from South Africa. My family is Swatin. Well, we originate from Swaziland, but my parents were born in South Africa. So I'm going to explain the South Africa, I mean, the South African and Swaziland Swati wedding, which is called Umtimba. U-M-T-S-I-M-B-A. But I didn't tell her that we only had a few minutes to talk, so I started recording her and we talked for about 20 minutes. The audio is really, really interesting. We don't have time to play it all, but we are going to throw it up on the post page for this episode. So if you want to hear more, you can go check it out. But we are going to go through and listen to a few things that she talked about. But yes, it is well worth a listen to hear her full telling of the traditions. So Yeah, it's so, so cool. So, so part one. The uncles of the bride need to decide if the couple can get married. Mm-hmm. Okay, so firstly, the man and the woman meet, and then they decide, okay, we're in love. And then what happens is the guy will go to his parents and tell them that he met this certain girl, and then they'll have a meeting with their uncles. And then from there, they kind of decide whether these people are family or not. What dictates whether the person is family is the tribal name, which is um, a couple of surnames that are mentioned right after their main surname. So, for instance, my surname is Mkiva Madonsela Bambulungit Ngabatindili Tagbonyog. So, meaning that I'm not allowed to marry anybody with those certain names, right? So that would be considered family. So when the uncles agree that this person is not family, then they can move on. And they'll be like, okay, fine, um, let's meet up with the girl's family. So what happens after that? They send a letter 
to the girl's family. The uncles will send the letter that, oh, um, our son has seen this beautiful flower. <laughs> Usually that's how it's described. This beautiful flower um, from your family and we want to probably um, carry on with negotiations. And then uh, after that, then they'll decide whether to maybe agree to it or not depending on the girl's family if they agree to it they'll send a letter back and say okay this is um we can search we can certainly maybe meet on this specific date and then um they choose a specific date and then that's when they meet uh one thing she said was after she recorded she realized she meant to say clan names so tribal name is like zulu or kosa or swati but clan name is like your sequence of last names that she's talking about. Okay. Part two. The next step is the groom's family goes to the bride's house and tries to convince the father to let his daughter marry. Yeah, I love this part. Yeah. <laughs> so the boyfriend and the bride are not in, they're not in this at all. So the bride's family will close the gates and then the groom's family will have to say the tribal names. And then that is the only way they let them in. If they don't know it, then it's like almost it's almost like disrespectful. Like why guys? Yeah. They have to say the bride's tribal name. Yeah. Yes. They have to say the yes, the bride's tribal name. The groom's family will have to say the bride's tribal name. So then they'll say it and say it and say it. And then if they decide okay they said it properly, then they welcome them in. So when they come and sit down and then sit down in the lounge or wherever they will be deciding to have the meeting and then what happens is they'll first um, have to pay for the father to open his mouth <laughs> so this is called imvula mlomo mlomo is mouth so mvula is open so imvula mlomo So, they'll put down some money. If the father decides it's not enough, or if he doesn't like them, he'll just kind of decide to keep quiet forever. (laughs) But eventually, if they put down a note, and then he's happy with it, and then he can open his mouth and continue the negotiations. So, it's like a dowry. Yeah, it's not really a dowry yet. It's like just in long, long. Just so that can we have a conversation now. (laughs) So, eventually, okay, then they start. So... The groom's family will mention, oh, we saw a beautiful flower here at your house and my son is interested in taking your daughter as his wife. It's a lot of, again, like both families communicating in a way or passing these certain tests or traditions to even see if they can marry. Exactly. And she also said that, so she talks about how The father of the bride keeps his mouth closed until he has enough money to start talking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But in Zulu traditions, which is in a lot of ways similar to Swati traditions, a lot of times the dad will, like traditionally he climbs a tree and waits until he gets enough money to (laughs) to start climbing down. (laughs) And she heard of one guy, one family whose dad like, just stayed at the top of the tree because he didn't like the groom's family. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's also very based on families, like not just the couple, but all of the families are involved in this decision. Right. And yeah, and like the results of it will bind them forever. So they take a lot of care, it sounds like, and mm-hmm, in vetting definitely. that. I really like how there are also specific roles for, for different members of the family. Yeah. Like the uncles or the sisters, and yeah, it's really clear that these are slightly more family oriented cultures than, mm-hmm. say, like the European one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, firstly, they don't disagree, they'll say, Oh, we need to know which bride or which daughter you're talking about. So, what will happen is that they'll line up five different girls. And then they'll just stand there. And then the groom's family has to say, oh, this is the one. If they don't know <laughs> which bride they're talking about, then the bride's family will just send them back. So they need to know the girl. I don't know how they know them because they haven't met them yet. But technically, the bride has sort of met the groom's family. So they'll say, oh, this is the girl that we're looking for. 
So for part three, there's the gift giving in which the bride brings gifts to the groom's family. And Venetia talks a lot about how what the bride wears is very specific. So on the day that the bride meets the in-laws, that is called Umshambiso. Umshambiso, the bride goes to the groom's family and then she has to bring some gifts. So the gifts could entail maybe like blankets, like beautiful printed um, swati blankets or pots for the mother. Sometimes she has to bring something for the grandmother. So the groom's family will usually have a list in terms of what they would like from the bride. Okay, the bride takes out all of that and then technically it's the bride bringing the stuff just to say thank you to the groom's family and um, for her to just be nicely welcomed. So they'll have like an event where she gives them these gifts and on the Mflambiso day she has to be wearing Imvunulo. It's called Imvunulo, like okay. what she wears. So it's Emahia. Emahia is like just material which is yellow. It has to be yellow. And then it, the material is called Lihia. Okay, so she wears that with a black skirt. The black skirt is usually a leather black skirt, so it's made out of like proper, proper leather. And then it can have like some um, fur on it. And then um, she also has to wear seed fava. The, the skirt is called seed fava. So seed fava is DV. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, you said it very well. And then also, then she has to wear a hat. Which is called Sikolo. Sikolo. Okay. Yeah. And then, so that's her entire outfit. Okay, they have the event, she gives them the gifts, and um, yada yada. Everybody goes home, they're happy. The fourth part is the Umembeso, which is sort of mm-hmm. like the bachelorette party. And the women, family members, and friends go out in the streets and celebrate the fact that the bride is getting married. Yeah. Well, the bride is also there. <laughs> so they'll be dancing on their day. They'll be singing around the street. She'll be walking around. That kind of shows everybody in the community that, like, she's about to get married. Aww. And, yeah, so it's a co-bachelorette type of thing going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so usually there's, like, just the women who walk around with her. And they'll eat. And everybody's just merry. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't think the guy has anything going for him. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you say that, that was all about the woman. Yeah, exactly. I love that it's like all the female family members. Whenever it's me and like my female family members, I'm like, we're so powerful together. (laughs) And then finally is the wedding. And there's a traditional dance by the groom. And I did find a video of that, so I we will put that on our show notes for this episode if you want to check it out. There's a, it's a traditional Swaziland dance cool. for a wedding. Let's talk about the wedding. So the wedding of Timba, that's when traditional beer is served. Traditional beer is called Umgombo tea. In South Africa, it will be called Umgombo tea. But in Swaziland, this is the proper way to say it, umgombotsi. Okay. Yeah. So the beer is passed around by the males. They drink, so they'll usually be sitting in a circle and they'll pass it around. And um, I think it's called litiwa. Yeah. So they'll drink. It's like shaped in almost almost like a bowl, but like it almost covers the top with a small... Um, so it's opening. like it's like a circle, yeah, it's a sphere. Yeah, circle. perfect. <laughs> so that's like traditional beer, mm-hmm. and then the males drink it. There's only mm-hmm. the males can drink it at that time, and they're celebrating, mm-hmm. and then they pass it on from one person to the next. This is done specially by the older women. Um, they know to make the best, and yeah. But so women cannot drink it. If the women want to drink it, they need to go in a hut and drink it there. Or they need to go indoors if there's houses and it's not huts. <laughs> They'll have to drink it indoors because it's sort of like seen as um, trashy when mm. a woman drinks it. Like okay. just a list of everybody just being there and watching improper. her. Improper. Yeah, yeah, improper. So so all the women have to be prim and proper. They can't be drinking. Yeah, or Only the men can do that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and then um, so during the wedding, the groom and the bride will have a moment where um, they dance. So the groom will first start and he'll do the traditional dance, like where you just lift up your leg and you like just dancing for the female. That time the groom is like wearing um just leather. Not not necessarily leather. Oh my god. It's like <laughs> yeah, it's just animal skin, like with all the fur. Like yeah, he just really, covered. Is it is it like pants? Is it tight that he has to wear while he's dancing? <laughs> Long ago okay, because he's getting married Yes, he has to be covered up. Mm-hmm. But if it's just kids and there's some event like that, they just go there with just the leather. So he'll be like literally dressed in the leather pants. And then maybe have like the wine that goes down like this. Which cool. is like the animal skin. On his fur. In front of his, tri- his yes, chest. Yes, yes. And then he'll have a spear. Mm-hmm. And then and um, a shield. Mm-hmm. The shield is made out of like um, leather, animal skin as well. And so he comes out and does a dance for yes. the bride. You were like holding those. So he'll be like <laughs> Venetia is acting like she's shooting a bow and arrow. <laughs> but with a shield and a spear. Yes. Something like that. But show if you like Google, you'll find the dance. I would show you nice. Like a traditional swatty dance. Yeah, I would show it to you, but like they'll only be just been thumping and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we can't. We will we'll link up a video it. to you'll it. Yeah. <laughs> Use your mind. <laughs> uh, so after the wedding, there was a tradition that she said some people still do, but the bride and the groom have to use white sheets on the night of the wedding, and then there should be blood for the uh, for the wedding to be valid or the marriage to be valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, traditionally, but she said, like, her family wouldn't do this. So, in the olden days, after the wedding, the bride and the groom, during their night, they have to kind of sleep together, and they have to sleep on white sheets. So, this does not really happen in modern times, but in Swaziland, in some areas in Swaziland, it still happens. If maybe the parents are very cultural and traditional, like, they'll do it. But it's still, like, oh, <laughs> bring, bring some blood or all. <laughs> no. So it's, like, it doesn't really happen. But yeah. in Swaziland, they would probably do it still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if there's no blood on the sheets, that means the bride is not a virgin. If there is blood, happy days, then this old woman will come out holding the <laughs> sheets. <laughs> I know, like your blood. Look, it's my and you're blood. Like, yeah, it's my blood. Okay, so I think that's it. Yeah. So thank you so much, Venetia, and thank you again, Simona, and thank you, thank you, Vinny. We really, really appreciate your contributions. Yes, thank you. It's awesome, and I really enjoyed learning about just even a few different cultures wedding traditions it's been really really fun yeah i love it so much what a great way to get get going again on the podcast yeah so i think we should probably do like a life update next time when we have if we have a little bit of time yeah yeah okay we'll do it on episode 51 okay okay well thank you everybody for listening we would love to hear any experiences you have with weddings in either your culture or a, another culture that you find really interesting. Yes. So be sure to reach out to us and talk to us. Yeah, you can find us lots of places on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, or also you can reach out on our website. We have a contact button, which our website is languagenerdstoearth.com. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, We didn't have a Lost in Translation moment this week, but if you would like to submit one, you can go to that contact section on our website and use our voice recorder to send us an audio. That'd be really cool. Yes. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll get regularly updated and get the, uh, the episodes downloaded right to your phone or your device. And make sure you leave us a review 
on iTunes. Hopefully we'll see it. <laughs> if you if you leave us a review and you want us to know about it, you can also contact us via our website or social media. And then we'll be able to go look at it by um, typing in the right URL. Yeah, and we really love talking to you guys, too. So if you just want to chat. We're open. Yeah, always. We've actually made some really cool friendships just from our fans. Yeah. So if you want to be our friend too, you can. <laughs> yes, and yeah. uh, be sure to tell others if you enjoyed it and help them subscribe or help them download episodes. Uh, remember that not everyone podcasts. And some people yeah. need a little push or a little bit of help just to get into this wonderful world. Mm, well said. Yeah. All right. So what's our well, next episode about? Oh, yeah. Our next episode, we actually know, is going to be about hiking and traveling. Yeah. Which we both mm. did a little bit of this summer, so. Yeah. I'm really excited to talk about it. I think I'm going to bring Seth in for that one. Oh, cool. That'll be fun. Yeah. Okay, everybody. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Let's get down to business to defeat the Hans. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry.